If you do have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 26 today. If you don't have the Bible, you can see this printed out in the bulletin. We're continuing our series in the book uh, called Isaiah. It's about a prophet uh, who goes, went by that name. And last week we saw that uh, every prophet has a call story. And that call story is sometimes pretty difficult, uh, like in Isaiah's case. He was called to do something very tough. He had to go preach to people who were not going to listen to him in general. Uh, and yet, here in chapter 26, we see uh, the prophet's calling wasn't all bad. Uh, the prophet was called to bear good news, too, not just bad news. Uh, in particular, in verse 3, you'll see, there's something in this that's almost too good to be true that Isaiah was supposed to announce to the people. He says that there is such a thing called perfect peace. Perfect peace. Do you believe that? Uh, let's read the passage and talk about it this morning. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays low the lofty city. He levels it to the ground. He casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down. The feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth rise and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. But your dead will rise, O Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. This is God's word. Now, is there such a thing as perfect peace as Isaiah describes here? Uh, I think this is something we want to believe is true. Uh, whether or not you, know, you consider yourself a believer or you, you consider yourself someone who fully accepts everything written in the Bible, without a doubt, you would say, uh, I, want, I want there to be such a thing as perfect peace. 
but you know, when it comes to defining it, when it comes to trying to figure out what ex- where exactly it comes from, we're kind of lost. Uh, back in 1969, uh, at the height of the anti-war protests around the, the Vietnam War, John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote a song called Give Peace a Chance when they were sitting in a hotel room, I think it was up in Canada. And that, that song became kind of the anthem of a whole generation, you know, surrounding the anti-war protests. And I went back and listened to it uh, this week because, you know, I kind of like the Beatles. I kind of like John Lennon. And the chorus goes... All we are saying is give peace a chance. And I thought, okay, maybe in the verses they're going to explain what that peace is. And so I listened to it. I even read along with the lyrics. What are they saying? Only to discover the lyrics were basically nonsense. It was just a bunch of words. If you remember the song, it's just a bunch of words that rhyme, literally put together in, in sentences, you know, in every verse. Which is kind of, if we're honest, a lot of what John Lennon did, right? Just kind of words together that sounded good <laughs> that might not have actually had a whole lot of deep meaning. And I thought, That's per- that perfectly describes my relationship to the peace the Bible describes. All we're saying, literally all we can say is, give peace a chance, please. Give me peace. But when it comes to understanding what it is, where it comes from, and how to learn it, how to learn to live in light of it, we don't have a clue. All we can do is put together a bunch of words that sound nice. Well, look, if you would, at at the passage and then also at the end of the bulletin where the sermon outline is, because I want to let Isaiah answer those basic questions this morning. What is peace? Where do you get it? And how do you learn it? What is peace? Where do you get it? And how do you learn it? Uh, First of all, what is peace? There in uh, verses 1 through 3, we see a beautiful answer to that question. Isaiah is promising the people not just peace, not just shalom, which is the word for peace in Hebrew, but he's promising perfect peace, or as he says in Hebrew there in verse uh, 3, shalom, shalom. He just repeats the word, uh, just like we saw last week in Isaiah 6. In Hebrew, when they wanted to say something was very, very, you you know, put a lot of emphasis on it, they just repeated the word. And so last week we saw holy Holy, holy. God is three times holy. He's very, very holy. Here he says, I've got a very peace for you. God has a a much peace, a greater peace, a a perfect peace to offer to the world. It's it's different than the peace we tend to think about. uh, Because a lot of times when we think of peace, like uh, with John Lennon and Yoko Ono, we're, we're thinking of a certain circumstantial change in our lives or in the world. Uh, Lord, I have this thing or I have this problem inside or in my life that's making me not have peace. It's making me anxious. It's making me afraid. It's making me worried. Lord, just take that away. Just change that and everything will be okay. That's the way we often think about it. Uh, I think that's actually the way people in Isaiah's day thought about it too. Uh, We've said this in the series already, but Isaiah is preaching both good news and bad news to a people who are already comfortable uh, the, the nation of Judah, which was the southern part of Israel, they had everything that they really wanted. They were, they were wealthy. Uh, they had a relatively good set of kings, you know, at least compared to the other kings that they had had before. Uh, and they were at peace, unlike their neighbors to the north, the Israel, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and so when Isaiah says, hey, I'm going to give you peace to a people who think they already have it, 
He's clearly saying that no, shalom, shalom from God is something totally different. You can't think merely circumstantially when you're thinking about God's peace. You have to think of something that goes beyond this world, something beyond this world. Isn't it true that you can have all kinds of successes and blessings in your life, but just one failure can ruin it all? Isn't that right? Just one failure can ruin a ton of good things and successes. Uh, there used to be a show on uh, VH1 when I was a teenager called Behind the Music. It may still be on there. I don't know. I haven't watched VH1 in years and years, but... Uh, Behind the Music was a show that I, I enjoyed watching when I was in high school, and each episode kind of took you through the story of a band or a particular famous singer, and listen, all the stories were almost exactly the same, you know, it was painful actually to watch, because here you have this band or this famous singer who got famous really quick, they had a lot of talent, they made a hit song, and everybody started fawning over them. And they got everything every teenager would want, right? They got, they got the fame, they got the money, they got people, you know, screaming their name. They were talented and everybody knew it. And yet in every one of those stories, there was one fatal flaw usually in their lives or in the band's life. It might have been a drug addiction. It might have been uh, they couldn't get along, they couldn't play well with others. And so the band was like, you know, had all kinds of riffs in it. Uh, sometimes it was broken relationships, you know, infidelity, for example, in their marriage. And that one flaw, sometimes in a quick way, sometimes in a slow burn kind of way, brought down every single success that they had been given or that they had built. Isn't that the way it is really in everybody's life? Now think about this. Isaiah is saying, if you can understand that about things like your marriage, um, your, uh, your ability to not get addicted to substances or whatever. If you can think about, about how you can't have even one area of your life that is ruined in order for successes to truly be sweet, then imagine this. Imagine somebody had everything, but they didn't have God. They had everything, but their relationship with God was broken. Now, that's something we don't often think about. That's actually something that was never brought up in Behind the Music. They never said, you know what, what really brought them down was they didn't, they didn't take God seriously. That was never in there. <laughs> and yet I guarantee you, according to the Bible, that you could find it there. If you dug down deep enough, you could find that the reason those other problems were there is there was something broken between them and God. Isaiah says, shalom, shalom comes from being brought back into a right relationship with God. In verse 1, he describes it as a strong city that God builds. The strong city is a, is, a, is a relationship with God. It's the kingdom of God where he brings you back into his presence and restores you to his purpose in your life. It says there, God makes salvation, the walls of the city and its ramparts. And I just want to point out, I won't do too much more Hebrew today, but I just want to point out the word salvation there is the word Yeshua, which may sound familiar because that's literally the name of Jesus. And I'm not saying that he's talking, direct, he's trying to name Jesus here, but I am saying he's naming what Jesus came to do. He's saying God has made Jesus and his work, the work of salvation, not just to fix your circumstances, but to bring you, no matter what your circumstances are, back into a right relationship with God. God has made that the unassailable walls and the undefeatable 
ramparts of a new city that he is now bringing you into, which gives you perfect peace. Shalom, shalom comes to those whose minds are steadfast, fixed on God. As the old uh, version that I learned as a kid says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Stayed on thee. Like, like your mind has found God, has found a relationship with God, and it's just like locked in. You realize that's the only thing that can truly bring peace in your life, no matter what other things come and what other things go. This is the reason Jesus said, my peace I give you. That's what he said to his disciples, my peace, my version of peace. Not as the world gives, Jesus says, not circumstantial. Because, this is literally quoting from Jesus, because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's like Jesus is directly stating what Isaiah stated hundreds of years before. God gives a peace that is beyond this world, a peace that surpasses understanding, because instead of merely fixing wars and rumors of wars and you know, problems with your finances and problems with your relationships and patching up your, you know, your ability to be talented and recognized as such, Jesus has come to bring you into God's kingdom. To put you back in his presence. To give you a place in his family as a son or daughter. To give you a reason for living in his city, the strong city, that you did not have when you were far away from him. The question this morning is, do you know that kind of peace is available? Do you know it exists? Shalom, shalom. There's all kinds of reasons this morning why you might be anxious. There's all kinds of reasons why you might be miserable depressed, bored, uh, lots of other things that happen in our lives. There's all kinds of reasons. But listen, I'm a pastor, and I'm here to talk to you about the spiritual reason, which is always there. I'm not saying those other reasons aren't real. I'm saying there's a spiritual reason you cannot ignore. When you try to find your peace in anything but a restored relationship with God, it's a very thin veneer peace. It's all we are saying is give peace a chance, Nonsense, 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 nonsense. All we are saying is give peace a chance. It just, it just ha- it doesn't have a true ring to it. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you, you would admit that's true in your own life. Sometimes you've patched together a peaceful heart and a peaceful existence only to find, oh, how thin it was. When that thing that gave it to me goes away, as it always will, there goes the peace. Rather than, oh God, my mind is stayed on you. Shalom, shalom, perfect peace, because I'm now in a good relationship with you. That's the first thing. That's what it is. But secondly, how do you get it? In verses 4 through 8, he tells us, he, he paints a picture of what it means to come into God's strong city. Uh, really, this is a tale of two cities this morning. A tale of two cities, because... Not only is there God's strong city, salvation, which he's given through Jesus, but there you see it in verse, um, verse 5, there's a lofty city, which is the opposite of God's strong city, which is what we typically live in. He says there in verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high, he lays low the lofty city. 
So it's as if we were born, all of us, into this city called the Lofty City. And what, well, we're citizens of that city. And what that means is we live basically by trusting in ourselves, by puffing ourselves up, which is why I think he calls it Lofty. Uh, notice, God's city was strong. Like it was rooted to the ground. It was founded on a rock. Salvation is its walls and its ramparts. But here's, there's, a lo- there's a lofty city. There's a city that builds itself up, that pretends to be strong and high and mighty. But like the word lofty, you know, it's, like, it's kind of like the word puffed up. Uh, it, it implies there's a whole lot of air under it, <laughs> right? It's high, you know, it seems like this is a great pl- way to live. But underneath is only air. Uh, it's puffed up nice and big, but it's not like a rock is big. It's, it's like a bubble that eventually, it says, God is going to burst. And so how do we come into perfect peace? We have to get out of citizenship in the lofty city and become citizens of the strong city through trusting God completely. That's what it says there in verse 4. It says it again there in verse 7. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, that's God, make the way of the righteous smooth. God does it. We don't do it. God does it. He gives us peace. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. We trust you enough to wait on you, to know that even though what you've promised is not coming quickly, nevertheless, it's going to come. And so we wait for it. In fact, your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. What is he describing there? He's actually just describing real faith. Real faith is learning how not to trust in yourself, but learning to lean the weight of your life, all of it, the whole, everything about you, onto God and his abilities. It's waiting on him. It's listening to him. It's, it's admitting that his path and way is better than yours. It's admitting his city is way more strong than your lofty city, right? And there's a process that everybody has to undergo in order to have true faith of coming out of that false way of life, the lofty way, and, and actually transferring your citizenship, learning a whole new culture as you become citizens of a new place, the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God himself. That's what it means. It's turning all the way around. It's a little bit like this. Think about how everybody, I think, could relate to this. Qualifications to enter a place vary based on the place, right? Sometimes qualifications to get in a place are very different from the qualifications to get into another place. Uh, There's a fancy hotel down in um, uh, West Palm Beach called The Breakers. And uh, it's, it's world-renowned because even American presidents have stayed there. I mean, John F. Kennedy stayed there in the, in the 60s. Uh, it's just right down the road from, you know, Trump's personal Florida house. I mean, this is a very fancy place. Uh, I went there one time, not to stay because I couldn't afford it, but just to look at it. It's got a great golf course, couldn't afford to play that either, but I was there looking at the beautiful, uh, you know, the beautiful scenery. It cost a whole lot to become a resident, to become a temporary resident in that hotel. It cost a lot to play at that golf course. Like I said, I was not qualified. Only certain people, like presidents and very wealthy people, can qualify to get into that place. Now think about that in contrast to Lakeland Regional Hospital 
or Bartow Memorial Hospital. What's it take to get in there? You got to be sick. Yeah, you got to. And not only do you have to be sick, you got to know you're sick. And you got to be willing to admit you're sick enough to be admitted into that place. I mean, that's a vastly different qualification system. On the one hand, you walk up to the breakers and you say, I am worthy because, boom, here's the money. Here's the credit card. This qualifies me. This thing that I have or this thing that I've done qualifies me to get in here where, where presidents have walked. But when you go to the hospital, all you got to say is, look, I'm in trouble. I'm in desperate need. And I found out there's not anything I can do. I'm here to offer myself into the hands of somebody else to fix the need that I'm in. Very different. And he says this is the way it is. You have to learn to get into the strong city to call yourself poor. Verse 6. You've got to learn to call yourself oppressed by sin and by misery. You've got to learn how to lay yourself down in the ground and lay yourself down in the dust so that God doesn't have to do it for you at the end of time. You've got to learn how to say, God, my way is a wrecked way, but your way is smooth, verse 7. Put me on your way. It's like getting into the hospital. Sometimes we imagine the church or the kingdom of heaven to be more like the breakers than Bartow Memorial or Lakeland Regional. And it's not that way. That's a misconception. You don't come into the church by saying, look how good I am, I deserve to be here. Actually, the very first question you have to answer to join the church here is to say, I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> Do you believe you deserve to be here? If you answer yes, you can't be a part. Because the kingdom of heaven is exactly upside down from the world. It's not the lofty city. It's a strong city that God makes. And so true peace is found by learning. This is, this is so counterintuitive. You've got to listen to it. True peace is not found by me making much of myself or me trying to make more of myself in whatever way I try to do that. True peace is found by, by me going on record to say, I am nothing. He is everything. Uh, there it says in, uh, in verse 12, it's a beautiful expression of it. Lord, you've established peace. All that we have accomplished, you did for us. You see that? It's like, in a, it's like getting into the hospital. It's an admission that all the bad in my life, God, that's my, that's my bad. That's on my account. That's because of my corruption and my you know, waywardness. All the good in my life, whatever there is, you did for me. Hospital entry is like entry in the kingdom of heaven. Now you might say, and somebody might say, Okay, well, I've entered into the hospital of the church. I believe in Jesus, but man, I do not have anything close to perfect peace. Why not? Why not? Why am I still constantly in turmoil within? Well, I think there's probably one of two reasons why. Uh, the first reason is maybe you're not really in the city that God has built. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that, I mean, you might say, well, well good, good job trying to give me peace this morning by telling me that. Well, listen, it may be, and this happens quite a bit, it may be that you have thought entering the kingdom of heaven was very different than entering a hospital all along. Maybe you've thought it really was like the breakers. 
And so your coming to Jesus was really you coming to you know, air out your good deeds or air out your merits. Well, in that case, I want to tell you, you have not entered the strong city of God. You haven't. You're not a genuine believer in Christ, if that's the case. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason. It may be that you actually have entered, but you're trying to live as a dual citizen. I do it. I actually believe everybody in this room does it to some one degree or another in one way or the, or the other. I, I'm a citizen of God's strong city, a city where faith alone can qualify me, where just simply saying I'm nothing qualifies me to be something here, right? And yet every day of my life, in some way or another, I'm trying to live as if the lofty city were still a thing, were still true, and we're going to last forever, and so I'm trying to build my righteousness. Sometimes I'm trying to do it in a religious manner, you know, where the things I do religiously, are, I'm trying to earn God's love or favor. But, all, but often it's not even religious. I'm trying to go to work and perform a certain way so that I feel successful or get the outward trappings of success. And my life is just hurried and hurried and hurried trying to, to quest for that. Well, in many ways... If that's what we're doing, we're trying to live one foot in God's city and one foot in ours. That will always rupture your peace. Always. That's why Jesus told his disciples, I'm giving you peace not like the world gives you. In other words, implied in that is, if you want to get my peace, you've got to stop trying to get the world's version. <laughs> you've got to more and more renounce the world's version. Are you trying to live like a dual citizen? And if you answer no, ask yourself again. Because I really think we all do. I mean, we, we all do. We do even in ways that we don't realize we do. I do. Every day. That's why the Christian life is a, a life of daily repentance. Daily repentance. Because daily I'm discovering my you know, spiritual schizophrenia. <laughs> where I'm trying to live one way and saying another thing. That's the second thing, how you get peace. You come into the city of God by faith. Now lastly, how do you learn it? You say, well, isn't that what you just told us? No. There's a difference between getting something and learning it. You know, when you were a kid and you got your first bicycle at, at Christmas, and it's shiny there under the tree, that's getting the bicycle. Now what did it take to go out and learn to ride it? A lot more than just simply receiving it, right? You received it. If, if you're like my kids, you receive it, and it's so exciting and happy. One time that Christmas afternoon, getting out there trying to ride it and falling off like five times, cures you of wanting to ride it anymore for a while, right? Like Receiving and learning are vastly different. Learning requires difficulty. Learning requires bumps and bruises. Learning requires submission to lessons that somebody besides you gives you, submitting to someone else's lessons. And those lessons are hardly ever just simply easy. They're easy and they're hard. There's a mix. Well, Isaiah there in, in verses 12 to 19 describes how Israel learned peace. They received it as a gift from God, but they had to learn it. And they learned it the absolute hardest way, which makes me excited this morning because it reminds me I'm not alone. It reminds me my walk with Jesus is not all that different 
than the saints who've gone before in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Look at what he says. Uh, Lord, you've established peace for us. All the good we have, you've done for us. Verse 13, Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. But your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits don't rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. Can, Can you relate to that? How sometimes things come to dominate you in your life? Sometimes willingly because you asked them to, (laughs) and I asked them to. And sometimes they dominate because of just circumstances. And sometimes we put our trust in those things. Sometimes we hate them and try to get rid of them, but we can't. But always they end up dying, don't they? Whether we trust them or not, they end up letting us down. They and other lords besides God end up dead. And there we are filled with disappointment or filled with regret. And then what happens? The wave of disappointment casts me on the rock of ages. Verse 15. You, Lord, enlarged the nation. The other lords died. They left us high and dry, but you enlarged our nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Notice the hard lessons of life taught them peace. Because the hard lesson of having another Lord, and Israel had a lot of situations where they were dominated by other foreign people who mistreated them and abused them. Every time that cast them back on learning how to live the life of God's city rather than the lofty city. Same thing there in verse 16. Uh, Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. Have you ever been there? Or you could barely whisper a prayer because God brought you circumstances that were just so bitter and so hard to take. Verse 17 and 18, he gives a, a sensitive picture, one that, I, that you know, is very painful. Uh, a pregnant woman about to give birth, writhing and crying in pain. That's the way we were in your presence, except when we came to give labor, we just gave birth to wind. We could not accomplish. In other words, he's saying there's a disappointment in life We put all this effort in and sometimes we get nothing out of it. We go through pain and it just doesn't add up. It says here, we have not brought salvation to the earth. I love that. Newsflash. I have not saved the world yet. (laughs) As I have often set out to do, right? Newsflash. The people of the world have not come to life by my good efforts. Right? Even though I've wanted it, even though I've tried in many ways to work To bring salvation to myself and others, it has not worked. But verse 19, your dead will rise, O Lord. Your dead will rise. Their bodies will live. Those who dwell in the dust will wake up and shout for joy. Your dew, Lord, is like the dew of the morning. It falls on the grass and gives it fresh life every day so that it comes up green instead of brown. God, you're the giver of life. I've brought only death. I have not been able to give the gift of life nor to sustain the gift of life. And yet God, the experience of being disappointed by that is the very wave that cast me back on the rock of ages. And I find, Lord, and and, and Isaiah knew this, but we know it even better because we've actually seen how God raised somebody from the dead who was dead. Jesus, we actually know God is the raiser of the dead. Because he raised his son. And when we believed, 
He sent the spirit of his son, the resurrection power of his son, into our hearts. And so every day we walk around with this gift of resurrection. To remember that the disappointments of life, the bitter things of life, don't have to be um, furtherers of of our bitterness. They don't have to extend our bitterness. They can actually be the best lessons that can teach us to live peacefully. Not fake peace, not nonsense peace, peace, peace. God's peace. The peace of living in a city that has walls that can't be torn down, ramparts that can't be defeated. Isn't that amazing? Now, how does that work? That, uh, just like Israel, that works over a long time. You're not going to learn this lesson overnight, I'm sorry to say. Most of y'all in here know that. You're going to learn it over a long life of disappointment. And a long life of bitterness. There's going to be joy too. But you better believe there's going to be bitterness. There's going to be disappointment. Don't waste the lessons that God is sending you. Don't ignore them. Sometimes we think God has nothing to do with those lessons. We think, well, that was the devil. Or that was just my fault. And maybe that's true. Maybe it was the devil. Maybe it was your fault. But that doesn't mean God isn't on the throne. (laughs) And it doesn't mean God doesn't have a beautiful purpose in your life through that thing. Right? He does. And lesson number one, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Stop trying to find peace in the world. I'm sending this wave so that you stop trying to find it in this world. Find it in me. In this world you will have trouble. But fear not. I've learned, I've overcome the world. Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the waves that threw me up against the rock of ages.